0: If I turn it on, I said, aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning? Oh, yeah. Wow. You guys are awake doing better than the 930. I'll tell you that. You guys get the gold star. Thank you for being here. Uh, Man, we I'm jazzed up about that song. And I'm also really, really worked up for this brand new series. It's entitled immeasurably more. And we're going back to Ephesians chapter three and chapter four. We're finishing the good work that was begun in the beginning part of the year when we covered Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, and it's a whiteboard Sunday. That's right. We're going to get after it on the whiteboard. Um, I'm excited. Anybody see the live that I went on Facebook or Instagram this weekend? So if, if you know, if you can't tell, I'm excited about this sermon. I'm excited about this series because we're covering what I believe to be, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the craziest verse in the Bible. It's it's so crazy. And I mean crazy in the best possible scenario. I mean mind-blowing, dynamite, life-changing truth, Chris. Life-changing truth. So buckle up. We're going to have to go after it pretty fast to cover everything. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Follow along with us on the screen. Anybody ever played one of these? My son's been asking me the whole worship time what is that thing? It's magic. This is VR. This is virtual reality. It's this one specifically is an Oculus, right? And when you put these bad boys on, your whole world changes, right? There's all so you load it up with it's got games on it. You can you can jump off a cliff by putting these goggles on. You can play Beat Saber, which is my favorite. It's basically like Guitar Hero but with Star Wars sabers. Lightsabers, and it's amazing, and I still hold the record from two summers ago with Jeremy Powers. Um, there's all kinds of games loaded on this thing, and it's called virtual reality because when you put the goggles on, you lose track of everything that's real. I mean, I've seen grown men falling around on the floor when they put these on because they think they're jumping off a cliff, and it's not real. But to them, it's real because it's a game, it's competition. So you put these on and a whole new world opens up to you, right? You can play all, you can, you can go anywhere. You can be in Thailand, you can be in Japan, you can be, you can do all kinds of things on this virtual reality game. And it's all about a perspective shift, right? When you put these bad boys on, everything real becomes imaginary for at least a moment. And here's where we're going this Sunday. What we have in this passage laid out in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3 is like spiritual VR. It's as if Paul wants to put the goggles on us through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to show us exactly what's going on from God's perspective. The secrets and the mysteries that God has had in store since the beginning of time, and he's making them known now through Paul in Ephesians 3. So, I want you to turn there in your Bible if you're not there already, Ephesians three. and I'll, let's let's hear Paul's account. Let's hear him talk about it. You stand for the reading of God's word. I will read it. you follow along, starting in verse one of Ephesians chapter three. For this reason, what reason? Well, if you go back to the end of chapter two, as we covered several months ago, What Paul has been talking about to this church is that the dividing wall of hostility that existed in the Jewish temple, that wall had been broken down through Jesus. So now Gentiles and outsiders are now welcomed in, given equal footing and equal standing with the Jewish people. For that reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, hold on to that word, was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5. We've got to keep going. This is so good. Verse 5 says... though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Basically, Paul saying three times in a row that God had given him the special calling of revealing for the very first time what this mystery really was and why it's been a mystery. Here we go. Verse nine and 10, crazy. And to get get ready, get primed up for this because there's going to be a spiritual holler after this verse is being read. I just know it and to bring to light for the everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things verse 10 so that through the church that's you and me the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places amen you're not ready I know you're not ready I'm just getting you primed up just hang on to these thoughts we're circling back I promise What we just read is so life-changing, and you don't even know it yet. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. God, open our eyes. Help us to see through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Help us to put on spiritual VR goggles this morning and really see how your hand is at work even today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to open this board up so that both sides can see it. We'll use it in a little bit. But this morning, what I want to show us through God's word is just really dynamite, is dynamic truth. I have to take a minute to show you how God's ultimate purpose for keeping the church a secret and how that plan includes you. Did you know that simply by being here in this room, simply by, by being in church this morning, you, you, you are turning the tide of spiritual warfare in the heavenly realms? Right now, just by being here, you're waging combat with the devil and his demons. So I want to answer three questions for you this morning. What is this mystery? Doggone it, we got to figure it out. Number two, why does it matter? Why are we all gathered here? Why does this mystery matter so much? And number three, how does it affect me? How does this mystery pull me in, right? And so... We're going to answer those three questions in a sermon I've called immeasurably more dot, dot, dot than meets the eye. Immeasurably more than meets the eye. Just like on this Oculus, there's, there's so much more than meets the eye. When we put these things on, there's a whole new world that opens up to us. We're praying for immeasurably more than meets the eye to be revealed to us through this text, starting in verse one. What is this mystery? What is the plan? What is the mystery? Paul says in verse 1, really verses 1 through 8, if you're taking notes, this first question, this is point number 1, what is the mystery? Paul talks about this in verses 1 through 8, and he's writing to Gentile believers from prison. Don't miss that. It's significant. Hold that thought. He's writing to Gentiles, a Gentile church in Ephesus, which is now known as Turkey. It's Asia Minor, and he's writing from prison. And God, like we said when we were reading the text, God had specifically planned for Paul to reveal to the Gentile population population, this mystery of the church. That was was God's special calling on Paul's life to reveal this mystery. Why now? We're going to get to that in just a little bit. So, verses... Verses 1 through 5 talk about how this mystery was hidden for the ages. It was hidden from other generations. They didn't know about it, but now through Paul, God is allowing this mystery, this secret, to be revealed. What is the mystery? It says in verse 6, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. In Christ Jesus, through the gospel this is the mystery. The mystery is that you and I are now welcomed in, right? The mystery is that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that opportunity for reconciliation with God is now not just something exclusive for the chosen nation of Israel. It's now available to everyone, It's now an option for even Gentile people, if they will approach God through faith in Jesus, that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down by the cross. They have access, right? They have opportunity to receive Jesus. That's the mystery. So the mystery is, in essence, the church. There is no church without Gentiles. God had dealt throughout the ages with Israel, with his chosen people. And he had primarily dealt with the Jews. And so it began to to cause me to ask questions like, well, where did Gentiles come from in the first place then? If everybody that's not Jewish is Gentile, where did we come from? How did we get here, right? And you have to trace that answer all the way back to the beginning of Genesis when God begins dealing with who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Jacob specifically, he was the guy. God... Had a battle, for lack of better terms, with Jacob, broke his hip, and changed his name. How would you like that encounter? After I break your hip, I'm going to change your name. So you're no longer Chris, you're Israel. So God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and Jacob became the first Jew. So all people before Jacob were not Jewish. Did you know that Abraham and Noah and Isaac weren't technically Jews? They were. The fathers of Israel, but they weren't called Jews. There was no such thing until Jacob. And so God, when we ask the question, where did Gentiles come from? All of us are Gentiles if we're descendants from anybody prior to Jacob, or if you're descendants of Esau, which was Jacob's twin brother that, that he sold his birthright to. Remember all that story in, in, in Genesis? So anybody prior to Jacob is a Gentile. And anybody that's a descendant of Esau is a Gentile. Basically, let's just break it down. That means all of us. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Although we did, I I realized in the first service, we had four Jewish heritage people in the room. So I was surprised. But if you don't have Jewish heritage in your blood, that means you're a Gentile. That's us, and that is the mystery that, that, once, that once this gospel, right? This relationship with God, right? This beautiful sacrificial system where they were able to come in and meet with God as long as they had a blood sacrifice, that opportunity is now available to all of us through Jesus, the Passover lamb, right? The Messiah, and the church is born. There is no church without Gentile believers, that's what makes the church the church. It's a, it's a woven fabric of many different threads. It's a mosaic of all kinds of pieces and shapes of glass. It's, it's a melting pot. The church is God's plan to show off his unity. The church is God's plan to save and rescue humanity. It's his plan to work through the world is the church. That's his plan. Because of this, the church is born. The church is the big reveal. No one had it on their radar. The, the Jews didn't have the church, the church age on their radar. The Gentiles, certainly you and I, we'd never knew that this moment was coming. But God says, this wasn't an afterthought. This was not an oopsie. I've got ai have got a. I've got a come up with some kind of plan to save the rest of mankind. No, this was intentional. It says in our passage this morning that it was planned out from the beginning of time, the church age. Why does it matter? If the church is this mystery, this big reveal that Paul is allowed to share publicly, finally, why does it matter? Why was the church kept a secret for so long? Paul explains that it's also known as the purpose of the mystery, Why does it matter? We find that in verses 9 and 10. And to bring the light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that... Through the church, that's you and me. That's deci- that's our local body right here this morning. The manifold wisdom of God. Manifold means colored, varied, dimensional. Just like that VR, you go into another dimension almost. Manifold literally carries the idea of dimensional, His God's dimensional wisdom. In other words, there's immeasurably more going on than meets the eye. God has a master plan at work that we're necessarily not privy to, although we're let in right here in Ephesians chapter three on a huge part of it. The man, So let's keep going. So that through the church, that's you and me, the Gentile believers, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Wow. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to you and I? No, that's not God's ultimate purpose here. And as beautiful and as wonderful as the church is, and and we're a part of it, and we're here, we're worshiping together, we're a unified body, and it means so much to us. The community means so much. The fellowship means so much. Uh, The family atmosphere means so much. This was not God's ultimate purpose for the church. As much as it means to us, God says, I have immeasurably more going on than meets the eye. So what is the purpose? His purpose is to to make known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places his manifold wisdom. That's good. I don't know where you guys are at, but here's what's going on. Why does this matter? From the beginning of time, God planned the church to be a, a mystery, not just to us, but to all heavenly realms, spiritual forces. What does this mean? It means angels, demons, Satan. It means nature itself. It means other beings that rule. Anybody ever seen Psalm eighty-two, one? It blows my mind, and I don't mean to go all Star Warsy on you, but there's immeasurably more going on than meets our naked eye. Can I show you in, in a very cool verse in Scripture? It's Psalms 82:1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Immeasurably more going on than meets the eye. Now we're familiar with Satan, right, Peyton? We know his attacks, we know his schemes, we know he's the deceiver of humanity and ultimately the church the purpose of the church why does it matter because god god through the church is showing the devil and his demons and every other wicked force at work in our world he's showing them i'm in control and i win he's showing satan and his demons you thought you had me at the cross you thought that you won when I was buried in a tomb, a borrowed tomb for three days, you thought you had effectively separated man from God forever. But because of the church, because the dividing wall of hostility is gone, because Gentiles are welcomed in, because this mystery is now revealed, I'm playing my trump card here. God's saying, listen, I'm in control and I win. I rule the day. And, and, and your, your evidence of that is the church. Your evidence that I am who I say I am is because my church is unified. The evidence, old Satan, the evidence that you eventually lose out one day and you'll be banished forever, if if you're wondering how that's actually going to happen, look at my church. Look at the unity in my church. Look at how I am a bringer together of people. It says this, The church was partly designed to prove to Satan and his demons that God had planned it all. He's in control. He holds the trump card. He holds the ace of spades. Why does the church make the devil nervous? Why does the fact, if we break it down, what does the church mean? It means Gentiles now in the body, right? Why does that fact of Gentiles being welcomed in make Satan and his minions nervous? nervous. Why does it make that divine council, the, the, the small g gods of this world, why does it make them shudder and quake to know that Gentiles are welcomed in? Why, why is there so much power in that thought? Here it is. It's the evidence that God can unify anything that is broken. It is the evidence to show that God's ultimate plan will always be restoration. It is always to make the broken thing whole again. God's plan is always unity. And so that means to me and you this morning that the farthest thing from the character of God is separation. The farthest thing from who God is, is division. The farthest thing from, from God's character and his essence and his being is when we separate and divide over silly, meaningless things. The unity in the church shows off God and his control for the ages. I love that. That should be a powerful, life-changing, mind-blowing truth that God is a unifier and a multiplier. He's not a divider. The reason why Satan thought he had won at the cross was because he had physically and spiritually separated God the Father from God the Son thereby separating us from God eternally. If God, if, if Satan could, could weasel his way in and Satan could crucify Jesus on that cross, he had, he had in essence separated us from God for forever because if there's no Jesus, there is no way for us to get back to God, you understand. So Satan thought he had won that day. And then Jesus rose from the grave, and that was part of this beautiful mystery. That was part of this trump card that God is playing. And then he takes it a step farther and he says, now the Gentiles are welcomed in. Now I'm going to birth the church, which is my bride and my body. And it's all to point back to a sovereign, omnipotent God who's on the throne. Let me show you in, oh man, let me, well, let me hold on. I'll show that verse in just a second. Satan thought he had won because he had separated God the Father from God the Son. Satan's ultimate goal, catch this, Satan's ultimate goal, if you really want to know what he's up to, he's trying to get everyone kicked out of God's presence just like he was. He's trying to get everybody condemned in God's sight. And we wonder where shame and guilt come from, those, those emotions that cause separation between family and friends, between us and God. God that's yeah that's satan's goal his ultimate goal is to make you feel kicked out of god's presence unworthy satan is a divider satan is a separator it's the antithesis of who god is in his character so no wonder why the church is so important no wonder why gentiles being welcomed in is such a scary thought to satan No wonder because it signifies the unity that is God. It signifies the glory that is God's triune being. It signifies the fact that God is in control forevermore. Let me show you the illustration just to kind of show you how God works all this out through humanity. Can I draw on the board? I'm going to show you the illustration of the three hills. And if you've you, if you're a bible scholar you might have seen this before but it helped me and i think it'll help you uh understand how all this kind of plays out through history it's the illustration of the three hills and there's obviously valleys in between these hills okay so i'm gonna draw you and me right here and i'm gonna call one jew and one gentile The Jews were God's chosen people. The Gentiles at this point in history are on the outside looking in, right? And this first hill, this first way that God was dealing with humanity was through the law, right? And that's, I'm going to draw a book to signify the law. I even got the Ten Commandments here, even though they're written in hieroglyphics, they're all there. This is, and and so you and I as humanity, we look at this law and we think, oh man, I'll never measure up even the jews thought i'll never be able to keep all that and they had the sacrificial system right so they saw the law and they ultimately what did they see they saw separation they had to approach god with their sacrifices right they had to approach god with regular sacrifices of blood to atone for not even forgive their sin just atone for it temporarily They had no idea. That's why they misunderstood who Jesus was. They were looking through the law and they said, man, we need a king. We need a king to deliver us from bondage. So they didn't really understand who Jesus was. They didn't understand that in this valley was the perfect sacrificial lamb. I can't spell and talk at the same time. That Jesus was this sacrificial lamb that he ultimately, what did he do to the law? Did Jesus abolish the law? Well, in so many terms, yes, but he ultimately, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled that sacrificial system. And so now, guess what? The Jews and the Gentiles are now here. And once Jesus comes, we now see that this valley is here, that Jesus came, the Messiah was born, not to deliver us and set up his rule and reign, but to fulfill the law. And we see this. And what did the Jews do? Oh, man, Jesus is going to be our king. He's coming in great power and glory. He's going to deliver us from Roman rule and oppression. He's going to set up his rule and reign on earth. They only saw the peaks. So from their vantage point, all they saw was God's working through the law. Oh man, and then God became the sacrificial lamb, and God's going to set up his rule and reign, and they had no idea that there was another valley right here, and we're living in this valley right now. This is the valley, and we call this the church age, and this is, this has been the greatest mystery of God's eternal word, and it wasn't an afterthought, and you or I are not an accident, and it wasn't just a oopsie, let me compensate, and let me, let me, let me bring in all the Gentiles in on this plan. No, the church was his big secret. It was his big reveal. And because of the church, what did mean separation, right? The cross signified that separation, Jesus from God, where God the Father, the Bible says, had to turn his back on his son. Because his son carried on his shoulders the weight, the sins, the transgression of all the world, including you and me god turned his back on his son there was separation and satan at this moment he thought he had won because the cross meant separation for every jew and every gentile we thought there was no way there's an eye in there somewhere but paul's saying it's not all about right here yet It's not all about right here. There's a beautiful mystery. There's a secret that's being revealed for the first time. And this secret is so powerful. This secret matters so much. It affects us because it signifies both to us. It it represents how we all gather, how we all meet together. It signifies to this old devil that he did not win right here. It signifies to the devil that separation is never going to rule the day. It signifies that Jew and Gentile are now absolutely, truly together here in the church age as a true melting pot, a true woven fabric of who God is, his character. And it points that this is the kingdom. So this is that age that is to come that we're all looking forward to, that we play a part in now in the church age, ushering in the kingdom age of God. This is that spiritual VR, and this is only 2D. We can't even see it like God does. He sees this whole, he sees my beautiful drawing, and he sees it in 3D this morning. And by the way, this is the end of our finite understanding. We read Revelation, and we see, oh, man, one day God's going to set up his eternal rule and reign on earth, right? I know the women have been studying Revelation, so you all should be preaching this sermon for me right now. But we see in Revelation that God sets up his rule and reign, right? That heaven comes down and meets earth. That he recreates everything, right? That the lion lays down with the lamb. And that is the end of our understanding, Revelation 22. But you understand that to God, that's the beginning of forever. You understand that to God, this is the beginning of eternity. He's only scratched the surface of his plans for us. So how does it affect me? How do I play a part? This is the last point. The last question we'll cover. How does it affect me? How do I participate? What is my active role in this mystery that is the church? 12 and 13. Paul says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. First of all, That verse should give us this truth. In other words, Paul's mystery of the church, that truth alone should change us. It should change our confidence level. Now we have, it's it's hard to forget because it's the ABCs, access, boldness, confidence. This mystery truth of the church revealed should give us access and boldness and confidence. And that's amazing. Think about this. It should give us crazy, ridiculous confidence because now I don't just see myself as, oh, I'm just like, I'm just Jim. I just go to the church. I'm just, it's, it's my church. I joined it a few years ago. I'm kind of doing my thing. I just serve. I just go, I sign up every Sunday morning. I go serve in Sprouts. Maybe I clean the bathrooms this weekend. Maybe I help out in the parking lot. No, 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 no. You begin to see yourself in a different light. This mystery of the church means that you're a combat veteran. You understand this mystery of the church proves that you're a spiritual warrior because the church represents the unity that puts satan in his place that means by simply gathering here this morning satan's on the retreat simply by being in this room as a body as a one unit this morning satan and his demons have to lose ground to us They are losing ground. They're having to forfeit territory because we are gaining ground by simply unifying together. Let me show you this from the Bible, cross-reference to John 17. This is Jesus' last prayer to God the Father before the cross. And this was his ultimate prayer. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Who's them? It's you and I. It's everybody who comes to Jesus by faith. And he says that they may be one, even as we are one. He's talking about him and his father, God. In other words, the church represents and proves the deity of Christ. How we gather should make the devil nervous because it proves that Jesus was God. In I, in them, and you, in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world, heavenly realm, spiritual forces, the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. The church, Jesus is saying in his prayer that what I'm about to do has eternal consequences. What I'm about to accomplish on the cross has eternal ramifications because I'm now opening, opening the door. I'm now tearing the veil so that everybody has access. And why is that access so important? It proves to Satan and his demons that God is a unifier, that his ultimate goal is always restoration he is the ultimate perfect healer of everything that is broken both in your life here now in times past in times of future he is the healer and mender of broken things albert tate pastor albert tate says it this way if unity is jesus's greatest prayer disunity is satan's greatest ploy if unity was Jesus' greatest prayer to God the Father, disunity is Satan's greatest ploy. One of the worst things you can do in the body of Christ is make it about you. One of the worst things you can do in the body of Christ is make it about The moment you make this about you instead of the collective body, you've already separated. You've already made division without even knowing it. You have already caused separation. That means, listen to this, listen to this. That means that, that when I don't get my way, it means that when I get my feelings hurt, when I get offended, when I get jealous, when my gifts aren't used how I think they should be used. That means I choose to rise above the fray for the sake of unity. That means I choose to preserve the unity. I choose to make peace to advance our position because I realize it's not about me. It's not about Jim's way. It's not about Jim's preferences or his style or his taste or his giftings. It's about the body taking back ground from the old devil. It's about preaching a sermon to spiritual forces in heavenly realms that they got to sit down because this kingdom is moving forward. The unity of the body, that's why it matters that you're here this morning. That's why just by having your butt in the seat, Trisha, we are taking back enemies ground just by collecting that's why Hebrews 11:25 is so important why does the writer of Hebrews emphasize not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together because this unity makes the devil scared it reminds him of his fate it reminds him that he lost the battle and we're taking back ground we're, gaining, we're making advances. We are combat veterans. We are spiritual warriors. We're pushing back. This morning, right now, at the 1115 service, we are pushing back the kingdom of darkness. When we act in unity as a body, we're taking back ground. We're loosing chains. We're unbinding weight. We are bringing strongholds crumbling down. Amen? Every time you take a step towards unity, spiritual forces have to take a step back. Every time we as a church take a step towards kingdom-mindedness, the enemy loses grip. Every time we bring people together towards a common goal, rulers and authorities and heavenly places shudder and quake at our advance. Yes, The church is important. Yes, this mystery has been revealed. And why does it matter? How does it affect me? It should affect me because I should use my strongest passion. I should use my strongest energy to fight against division. Now I've refocused because if unity is the ultimate goal, if God from the beginning of time walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and and ever since then, his ultimate goal has always been to unite with his creation, then that means my strongest focus should be to fight against division, not to fight for my preferences, not to fight to get on stage and use my gift for the worship team, not to fight and make sure that everybody knows that I planned that event. It means that I lose all of that pride. I lay all of that ego aside for the unity of the body. That means if I don't get the carpet color I want in our next church building, I'm going to be okay. Because the unity of the body is at stake. This is what makes the devil nervous, not carpet colors. This is what makes the devil nervous when we gather, when we praise, when we worship as a unified body. So here's the takeaway truth. Don't mess with God's plan. Don't mess around with division. That's satanic. There's a list in Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to read it in a second. There's a list in Proverbs of the seven abominations to God. The last one being one who sows discord among brothers. You understand that disunity is an abomination to God? And why is it an abomination? Just because he's picking a fight with us? No, it's because unity reflects his character. When brothers dwell in unity, when his bride and his body act as one, that's his glory on display. So our strongest passion and our strongest energy should be focused against division. Paul was the perfect example of this. In verse 13, he literally comes back around full circle, just like verse 1. And he says, so I ask you, Gentiles, believers, church, I ask you what? Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. He's in jail. He's writing this in prison. And he's saying, listen, I am willing to... stake my ground for you guys for the sake of unity paul could have easily bailed on the gentiles he's jewish for crying out loud paul was a jew and here he is in prison for gentiles and he's saying listen it's not about me this is your glory the fact that you've been welcomed into the body to reveal the mystery of the church this is your glory. i am happy to suffer for the sake of unity how about you Let's talk about the bullseye of unity and then we'll be done because this is really where the rubber meets the road. If our strongest passion should be to preserve the unity, how do we break that down? And how do we apply that to my life right here, right now, this week, today? I'm gonna draw three rings and we'll talk about this bullseye of unity and then we'll be done. If our strongest focus should be be against division, we gotta be on guard specifically in three places. Number one, marriage and family satan wants that thing he wants your marriage did you know that y'all act like all have never been through a test in your marriage do you know that satan's after your marriage okay yeah I, I could go on endless examples of that if you want to but satan is after your marriage why you think sunday mornings are so doggone hard Satan loves to mess up your Sunday morning with your spouse. Protect it. That thing should be sacred. He's after your family. I don't have to tell you about that. It's all around us these days in our school system, online, entertainment. This world is after your kids. If you don't know that, open your eyes. This world is after them. They want to pervert this generation coming up. So, this should be our strongest focus against division. What's outside of that? Your family, your local body of believers. That's decided church. I'll put DC down here. That's us. That's us in this room. If Satan can cause us to get in division between each other, then he's one. He has effectively voided our testimony of the unity of God on display to spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So I don't know if you have a service area in church yet, but I'm going to give you one this morning. Everybody, you are now a row leader. You're a row leader. Saber, you're a row leader. Vic, you're a row leader. John, you're a row leader. Everybody's a row leader. You're responsible for your row, okay? That means we got to protect the unity in this body. We have to fight against division. We got to fight against separation. We got to help hold each other accountable, amen? Amen. We gotta make sure that we're putting those squabbles aside and it's not only you, but you gotta be looking out for your neighbor too, that you're a role leader. Help protect the unity in this body. If Satan can render us... Uh, ineffective if he can get us to argue with one another and have spats and oh i'm not talking to him because they didn't look at me this morning and he didn't shake my hand so i'm just gonna block them on facebook for a week like all that stuff if satan can i'm using silly illustrations but you understand the spiritual truth if satan can cause division and separation with us then he's won he has voided our example of testimony of god's glory to the world and then the big one is kingdom-minded bodies that's the big one that's the capital c church I'm left handed. That means I'm in my right mind. Kingdom minded bodies. Am I talking about unity at the sake of truth? Church? No. Am I talking about making peace with everybody at the sake of principle? No. But if we get around like minded people, if we get around kingdom minded bodies, we need to put that small stuff to the side. We need to stop making mountains out of molehills. We need to stop arguing about Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Baptists and these people and those people and, and making you know, denominations themselves are just a crazy thought. if you ever thought about it? It is a lot of different separations and divisions between the body of Christ. It shouldn't be that way. Sadly, it is, but it shouldn't be. Let's end with this verse in Revelation 2, 3-5, through 5, and then we'll be done. In the book of Revelation, John is given a vision, and he's writing a letter to the seven churches. And one of those churches is Ephesus. It's the same church that Paul is writing to right here. And we're able to play fast forward on this body of believers. We're able to fast forward to the end and see how did this church end up this church that was so on fire for their love this church that was so on fire with their unity and their oneness how did they end up so i know that you were enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary man they had the doctrine thing on lockdown They had their theology on point. They had not grown weary. They had stood for the truth. They were principled people. They had not grown weary. The world was falling around them, but these Ephesians knew their stuff. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. What do you think this love is? This is the love for the body. This is, this is unity. They had lost their passion for unity. They had lost their passion for the family atmosphere in their body. They had lost their passion to represent the glory and deity of God. It says in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. Did you know God can snuff out the witness of decided church in an instant? He can remove this local body in a second. Why would he do that? He would do that when we forget the why. We can have all the what's. We can nail down our doctrinal statement and have typo free. We can have our theology on point. We can have all of our principles in order. We can have... um, a spiritual playbook that is as deep as it is wide and we can know the Bible and we can saturate in its richness and there's nothing against that. But if you take all the what's and they become so big that they overshadow the why that you forget the unity and the love of the body, God says it's better just not to have the church at all. He will snuff out the light that we have. Don't lose your why. Don't lose why you came to become part of a local body in the first place. And I'm not just talking about decided church. I'm talking about wherever your body is, whatever church that you've been a part of. This one happens to be decided. Don't lose your why here. Don't lose the passion to fight for unity, kingdom-minded bodies, local body, your marriage and your family. It should be the strongest compartment that you have. And I know we're all busy, right? We all multitask all the time. We all have a million things going on. We're trying to raise kids and hold down a job and volunteer at church. I get it. That biggest compartment of passion and energy should be to fight against division. Because if we can take back just an inch of ground from the enemy what a reflection of God's glory that is. Think about the the ground we've gained just today in 45 minutes. Think about the strongholds that have come crumbling down. Think about the enemies and the spiritual forces that are on retreat this morning because we gathered and we praised our socks off at Decided Church 1115 service. Understand this morning that you are a combat veteran. You are a spiritual warrior. And on the days when you don't feel like it, on the days when it's just another toilet to scrub, another Sprouts diaper to change. Think about the ground you're gaining for the kingdom. Don't forget your why. We can do all the right what's, just like the church of Ephesus did in Revelation. But if we forget our why, if we lose our first love, it's better that we weren't a church at all. Remember your why. Let's pray. God, help us to focus on that why. Help us to remember the whole thing. Help us to have spiritual VR this morning that we would understand from a Holy, Holy Spirit vision of what you're working in the heavenlies this morning. The forces that are on retreat this morning because we came and unified as a body. God, I don't know what these folks are going through right now in this moment, but there might be some brokenness that needs mended. There might be some separation between family members, between um, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe in the job, maybe uh, just might be torn within their own marriage this morning, God. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm asking you to do business with God. It matters that much. I'm asking this church that maybe you weren't, you weren't put into your favorite serving position. And maybe you feel like your gift is not on display like, like it could be. Maybe you haven't gotten your way necessarily with a ministry of the church, aspect of the church. I don't know. But are you willing to lay that down? Are you willing to die to self to preserve the unity of the body? Are you willing to sacrifice your wants and your desires and your needs and your choices and your opinions, your preferences, your perspectives, your politics? Are you willing to lay that down for the unity of the body, the furtherance of the kingdom? We make the devil scared. Satan is nervous. His demons are nervous. And that's why I believe to the core of my being, why the devil used COVID to cause so much harm in the churches because he caused separation and division like there's never been. We've got to gather back once again. We've got to rally the troops. We've got to shake the bushes of all those people, all those folks that used to come to church. We've got to get them back. When we unify, we reflect the glory of God. When we unify as a church, we prove the deity of Christ Jesus. When we unify as a church, we're gaining ground. You participate in that. You're a combat veteran. You're a spiritual warrior this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask you just to remember your why. Remember your why and remember what you're doing this for. If you need prayer, ask that you go to the back and pray with somebody at the back. Move as God prompts you to move. Let him do his business and his work in your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.